Well, hello and welcome back to the Bible teaching channel of A Love Outreach. My name is Dave Nelson. Today we are going to continue on in our study of the book of Acts. So, as I always say, if you are in a position where you can do so, please do go ahead and grab your Bibles and open it up to Acts chapter 17. It has been a while since I've taught from the book of Acts, but the last time that I did, we made it through the first six verses of chapter 17. So today we will go ahead and talk our way on through some verses starting at verse 7. So yeah, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 17 starting in verse 7. Now, if for some reason you weren't with us for the last teaching in Acts or any of our previous teachings in the book of Acts, that the last teaching and all of our teachings are available on most podcast platforms, I believe. We might be up over 400 teachings now out there in podcast form. Um, so you can find them on things like iTunes and SoundCloud and, you know, all of them, you know, all the podcast platforms that are out there. You can find us by looking for A Love Outreach. And of course, we're also on YouTube and um, you can find us on Facebook as well. Tonight, I decided to just go ahead and um, stream live with this teaching rather than recording it. But um, so looking at Acts chapter 17 here, I'm going to go ahead and have you read along with me starting again in verse one here. I say again, because like I said, we did cover the, the, the first six verses of Acts chapter 17 the last time we looked at the book of Acts, but I want to go ahead and read on through and then we'll go right on into our verses for today. And I'm hoping to go ahead and get through you know, the whole chapter of the book of Acts on this or the rest of the chapter, I should say. And um, hello, Becky. Thank you for joining us tonight. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and work my way through this teaching and any comments or things like that I'll address at the end. So again, we're in Acts chapter 17, the New Testament book of Acts. And I'm going to start reading in verse one, where it says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, he went into them, and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. So once again, just a reminder, I covered those first six verses in our last teaching of Acts chapter 17. So I'm going to begin here with 
for a teaching for tonight and a discussion through the rest of the chapter, starting in verse seven. It says, Jason has harbored them. This is what they were claiming, right? Jason has harbored them, and these are acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, there is another king, Jesus. Okay, so here... We finally have some truth being spoken by these hate-filled men here that were, you know, desirous of just getting rid of the Christians. And remember, these were men that had went out and they stirred up a bunch of thugs. We talked about this last time. They, they stirred up a bunch of thugs in town to get them to start riot, rioting and causing trouble. Okay, a lot of that same kind of thing goes on today in political circles, right? They'll go out, stir people up to start rioting, to try and get their way on this or that, right? But what they say there at the end of verse seven is, very, is a very important truth that we must in our hearts fully come to realize and understand today, right? And that is, is that there is indeed another king and that is King Jesus, right? Who the Bible calls the King of Kings, right? Who even in our present day, right now, he sits on the throne, high and lifted up, as the Bible says, and he rules over the kingdom of God. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Okay? He shall reign forever and ever, the scripture tells us, right? And you see, the important thing is that we must understand that the kingdom of God is not something that we're only waiting for to come in the future. Yes, we know that we're eternally going to be with the Lord when we're absent from this body, when we're done with this life here on this earth, either by the Lord's return or us passing on, whichever the case may be. We're going to go on and spend eternity with the eternal King Jesus. But the you know, so we know that the that the full rule and the reign of Christ has not completely come to fruition yet, but we are very much a part of the kingdom of God now, right? You see, if you and I have turned from our self-led life, you know, where we're the king, we're the captain of our ship, we're in control, you know, we've repented and we've been born again of the spirit, right, through faith in Jesus Christ, then we are now a part of the kingdom of God. Now, keep in mind that when Jesus was born, at that very moment, he was pronounced as the king of the Jews. In Matthew chapter two, right? The wise men had come from the east to Jerusalem and they uttered these words. They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So right from that very moment, from the moment of his birth, these wise men knew that the king was born the king of the Jews, right? Who ultimately, again, we know as the king of kings, right? So he was king of the Jews, right? That, you know, that's irrefutable from a scriptural standpoint. And that is when the kingdom of God has arrived, when the baby Jesus arrived, when the king arrived on the earth, right? Now, we know from scriptures, right, that the majority of the Jews rejected him as their king, but this did not make him any less the king sent by God in their present day. Didn't matter that they rejected him. He was who he was, right? So then what then is his 
kingdom? Where does this kingdom exist today? If this kingdom does exist and Jesus does indeed rule the kingdom, then why is there so much sin and destruction in our world today? Well, we must keep in mind that, again, we're not in that place of eternity. We're, we're not there in, in you know, there, there's no physical thing. And let me just kind of go on here before I get ahead of myself. But I want to advise you to study the scriptures for yourself, right, before jumping to any conclusions, right? And be careful not to just go with the crowd on the subject as it relates to the kingdom of God, right? Or any biblical subject for that matter. Make sure that it's something that you study out and that you come to learn yourself. You know, but let's talk about this kingdom. What do the scriptures say about this kingdom, this kingdom of God where Jesus Christ is king? Well, in John chapter 18, Pilate, when he was, you know, interrogating Jesus, he asked him a question at that time. He said, are you the king of the Jews? Now, this was before, of course, the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus didn't deny that he was the king of the Jews. But listen to what he did say to Pilate here. Because again, I'm asking you, what is this kingdom? What does the scriptures say this kingdom of God is? Okay, again, because if, if we're living in the kingdom of God now, again, we, we live in a world of sin and death and sickness and all of that kind of stuff. But let's look at what Jesus said here as he answered Pilate in John chapter 18. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So when Jesus says, when he told Pilate there in John chapter 18, that his kingdom was not of this world and that it's you know, not from here, right? He, he's not talking about a time frame, right? In other words, he's not saying my kingdom is somewhere off in the distant future. Because again, in John 18, Jesus specifies that his kingdom is not from here, right? Meaning it's not in this place. It's, it's um, not in this world as we now see it and know it. It's not something that we see with our eyes at all, right? Like a physical kingdom. But he indeed was and is the king but he was not the kind of king, and his kingdom was not the kind of kingdom that the Jews were expecting or looking for. So the majority of them, not all of them, but the majority of them rejected him. Now there was a remnant of the Jews that received him. That's why we have the Bible. These were Jewish men that wrote what we read about in the New Testament here, okay? But again, the majority of the Jews, for the majority of the Jews, though, Jesus wasn't the kind of king that they wanted to accept. They wanted something more political, right? You see, in John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, it speaks of a group of Jewish men that had come to the conclusion that Jesus was the real deal from their perspective after he had miraculously fed thousands of people. 
And they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. And then the scripture tells us when Jesus perceived, okay, so what was happening was Jesus had then perceived that they were about to come and to take him by force and to make him king. But what did Jesus do? Scripture tells us that he departed, he took off, and he went to the mountain to be by himself alone. So again, he wasn't born to be that type of king, the type of king that they were looking for. Again, something political, something to come in and to rule and reign from a political standpoint. Jesus ran away from that opportunity. He took off. He could have just accepted it again when they realized, look at what he just did. He just fed thousands of people from nothing, next to nothing, a few fish, a few loaves of bread, right? He fed thousands of people with that. He did this miracle and they said, this is him. This is the one. But they wanted to take him by force, but he knew what was in their hearts and he didn't want to be that type of king for them. And I'm not going to get too far off here, but I just want to say that a lot of times people come to Jesus expecting him to be their genie in a bottle, right? Okay, I get three wishes, Lord, and or this is what I want you to do, Lord. This is how I want you to make my life. This is what I want you to do for my career. This is where I want to live. This is the car I want to drive. This is the school I want to go to, all of this stuff, right? But that's not who Jesus is, and that's not what he's about. But let's go on. So again, Jesus ran away from that opportunity because that was not the kind of kingdom that he was ushering in. His kingdom was not a kingdom of this world, just like he said, not a kingdom of a particular geographical place at all. No physical place on the earth was he going to establish his kingdom when he came here at this time, right? The Jews in that day were wanting a king that was to be more like David, their King David was, you know, the kings that they had had in the past, you know. They wanted him to be a king specific to them that looked out for their well-being, their political well-being, their physical well-being, all of that. That's what they wanted, right? In reality, they didn't reject Jesus as their political type king, or at least some of them didn't because they were scheming again to take him by force and to make him be just that. They, they, they were fine if he was going to be that, right? But it was Jesus himself that rejected being that kind of king, right? That's not why he came. Again, Jesus said, I'm just going to keep reminding you of this, my kingdom is not of this world, okay? So Jesus brought the kingdom of God to earth, but in the end, right, the end of his walk here on the earth, that is, the Jews wanted him done away with, and they did away with him, or at least they thought they did. He wasn't the king they wanted, and they, don't, they didn't like his idea of what a kingdom was. It's not what they wanted, right? So now go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 17. So you have Matthew in the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John, and then the book of Acts, which is what we were reading from tonight. So two books back. I want you to look at Luke chapter 17 with me. And I'm going to go down and I'm going to start reading at verse 20. So Luke chapter 17, verse 20. It says, now 
when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. So this is what I'm pointing out to you. It's not something that we, that, that's, you know, in a physical geographical location that we see with our eyes and all that kind of stuff right now here on this earth, right? He says, nor, Jesus went on to say, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. That's the key verse right there. So again, what is this kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is within you, okay? And so any other doctrine about the kingdom of God that men have written about or, you know, come up with, right, in their own minds, whatever it is, if it's not based on that fact, then the kingdom, it's not based on the fact that the kingdom of God is within you, well, then we're not going off of what Jesus said the kingdom of God was. The kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. He said it's not something we see with our eyes, he was telling the Pharisees. So the kingdom of God is not an earthly type kingdom ruled in a political way, okay? It's something within you. And I know I'm you know, really laboring, belaboring this point here, right? I'm stressing it because it's something that's very important for us to understand and to learn what the scriptures are talking about and how we relate to the Lord today with the kingdom of God within us, okay? So when, when Jesus used that word um, within there, in the original Greek language, uh, it was the word entos, right? And it speaks of something that's in your heart. It speaks of something that's within you. Right? And that's what Jesus was talking about. It's in the core of your being, what we would call our soul, our spirit. That's where the kingdom of God is. In Romans 14, 17, the apostle Paul describes the kingdom of God like this. He said it was the kingdom of God was righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. These are all inward things that, that, are, that are within us. And before Paul said those words about the kingdom of God, Jesus instructed his disciples to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So these are the primary things a person needs. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Okay, and that's what the kingdom of God is. And it's found in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells a person that has come to faith in Jesus Christ and has decided, I'm going to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible calls a born-again person, someone that has been renewed in the spirit of their minds. They've been renewed in the Holy Spirit. And the kingdom of God dwells within them and Jesus is the king of that kingdom. His kingdom's not of this world, just like he told Pilate. It's not about this place, right? So he is our Lord. He is our master. He's the king of our hearts. And we are to be his subjects in the kingdom, his servants in the kingdom, okay? And what do we do? What do we do as subjects, as servants in the kingdom of God with Christ in us? kingdom of God within us, right? We obey his commands. 
by the leading of the Spirit. We do what he says, right? And how do we learn all this? Well, just like we're learning today, we learn it from the written word of God, the Bible, the scriptures, the Holy Bible, right? The kingdom of God is within you. This is what the scriptures teach us, okay? And this is what the early church preached Right there is like we read there in the book of Acts, there is another king. That's what they were getting in trouble for. That was the problem. That's why they were being drug out into the streets and beaten and everything like that, because they were saying there's another king, King Jesus. And today, again, when a person repents and comes to Jesus, they're coming to Jesus as Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, so you're saying he is Lord, he is my king, he is my master, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that is the profession that someone is making when they come to Jesus. They're making the profession that he is their Lord, he is their king. He is the one they're giving their hearts to and giving their lives to. A Lord is somebody, now we don't use this in, you know, in, especially here in the United States, we don't use that term, you know, Lord this or that, right? But a Lord is who you're going to bow down to and you're going to follow his commands. You're going to be obedient to him. That's what it means to reverence the Lord, to give yourself to him wholly and completely. Okay? He rules over you. And in our case, the kingdom of God is within us. He rules within us. He's ruling our spirits. Okay? That's where he is ruling. So to have Jesus as your savior only, you know, some people will say, well, you know, so-and-so has Jesus as their savior, but they haven't made him Lord. That's not even a biblical doctrine. You can't find that in the scriptures at all, right? He is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all as it pertains to our lives, okay? We must be born again of the spirit where the spirit of the Lord indwells us, right? And his kingdom again is established within us. So today, so many people have been duped into believing that they can remain on the fence, you know? one foot in the world, one foot doing what they want, living how they want, maybe continuing living, living, in, living in sin, right? And say, well, I have Jesus as my savior and they're gonna be saved, they think, right? With no need to be obedience to the word of the Lord and King Jesus, right? That's not the case, right? So as we've been studying the book of Acts, we realize that these people that we read about in the book of Acts, they died for their faith in the Lord. They were, like I said, they were being drug out into the streets. Look at Paul himself. The apostle Paul was beaten and stoned, left for dead, right? And their faith in the Lord, again, was all or nothing at all. It, 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 you know, they, they didn't have faith if it wasn't everything they had given to the Lord, right? They surrendered all to him, okay? And these were that we read, the woes that we read about in the book of Acts here, these were not the type of Christians that we often see today, unfortunately, right? People that could be called hypocrites, 
okay, going to church one, maybe two days a week and then living the rest of their lives in willful sin, you know, doing things that they know, well, they, they may not, if they just if they just say they have the Lord as their savior, they may not even read the Bible and know the commands of the Lord and know that we're supposed to keep the commands of the Lord, that there's a certain way we're, we're to live, right? And they're being told today in a false doctrine of grace. Now, grace is not a false doctrine scripturally when it's taught right, but there is a false doctrine of grace taught today. And it's that grace doctrine that tells you you can just continue in sin, continue living however you want as if Jesus isn't your Lord and you're going to be saved. That's not what's, that's not the kind of grace that the Bible teaches, nor is it the grace that the early disciples of Jesus received and died for, okay? they Again, they were beaten for confessing Jesus as their Lord and Kings. They were strangers on the earth, the scripture tells us. They had an impact around, with on the people around them with the way that they lived their lives. They were turning the world upside down because they were no longer living like the world around them. They became part of another kingdom where they had another king, King Jesus. They were part of the kingdom of God where Jesus Christ was their Lord. So are you living like that today where Jesus is your king? Is he your Lord? Or do you just see Jesus, like I mentioned earlier, as your genie in the, Bible, in the bottle, right? Where he gives you what you wish for and he lets you live however you want to live and then you'll be with him in the future kingdom someday in eternity, right? You may not be, been taught this type of doctrine, but it is what the Bible teaches, right? So we need to be reverencing Jesus with the way that we live our lives, the choices that we make, right? Are you seen by others as not of this world or do you look just like the non-born-again people of the world that live in accordance with the ways of the world, right? Now, I know that this is a lot of straightforward preaching here and there's a lot more that we can talk about on this very important topic, right? But it's very important that you understand the condition of your soul, that you and I both do, that we understand where we are spiritually. Where are we when it comes to faith in the Lord? You know, where are we as it pertains to our eternity? So I encourage you, along with myself, to examine yourself as to whether you're what your faith is really based on. Is it the doctrines of men? The doctrines of, you know, just a certain religion or certain commentaries or what a pastor may teach and, and hopefully you've got a good pastor in your life that's teaching you a good doctrine. But what is your life based upon? Is it based upon what's written in the word of God? What the apostles of Jesus taught and what Jesus himself taught? Right? So again, there's a whole lot more to talk about when it comes to the kingdom of God. And I really want to encourage you to study it for yourself. 
Again, I, I've always encouraged you not to just take the word of a man. Don't just listen to me. Go study the Bible for yourself. Seek the Lord for yourself. I'm not seeking any followers. I'm not seeking you to follow me or to be like me. I'm simply wanting to point you to Jesus, point you to the word of God yourself, where you can study it and know it for yourself and grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. Okay, but let's go ahead and move on now in our study of Acts, right? Um, let's look at verse seven again. It says, Jason has harbored them and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And then verse eight continues, and they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest of them, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, where they arrived. They went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So that right there, just like I was just mentioning, that's a very important scripture for us to take heed of today. Okay, just like I've been encouraging you, study the scriptures for yourself and see what it really says, okay? And these people here that Paul and Silas had come upon, they were ready to search the scriptures. And how often did they do it? They did it daily, it says, okay? So it was something that was important in their lives so that they could discern the true doctrine they could know what is true doctrine and what is false doctrine, okay? Then verse 12 goes on and says, therefore many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. So again, because they studied the scriptures for themselves, they came to believe from all walks of life. It didn't matter who they were. Male, female, didn't matter didn't matter their ethnicity, nothing. They studied the scriptures and they came to believe in Jesus, okay? Then verse 13 says, but when the Jews from Thessalonica, Thessalonica excuse me, uh, learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds, right? So here again, we see this happening, right? Evil people inciting riots, starting chaos, trying to stir up trouble, trying to stop something good that is happening and, you know, destroy it. Excuse me here. I needed to grab a drink of water. And then verse 14 goes on to say, then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with, with all speed, they departed. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city 
was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So here we see the Apostle Paul, he was troubled within himself by what he was seeing here in the city of Athens. He had the kingdom of God within him by the spirit of the Lord. He had righteousness, peace, and joy, but the righteousness within him made the unrighteousness of the world around him very evident and very clearly seen, and it troubled him. Right? But even though Paul had the spirit of the Lord within him, he couldn't just wave his hand and make everyone righteous. He had to reason with them. And he had to tell them about Jesus and that he was the king and about how they needed to come and to worship him as well and to bow down to him as their Lord. And what happens next here? Verse 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler, this is what they called Paul here, right? What does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to Aeropagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. Now, just for your information right here, I'll tell you that Aeropagus was a place where magistrates met to talk about public business and the courts of justice were held there. Okay. It was also a place, though, where all the learned men came to communicate their ideas and their philosophies. And the Epicureans were a group of men that, you know, they pursued pleasure as the primary purpose in life. And they did not de deny the existence of gods, but believed that they had nothing to do with man. And the Stoics that are mentioned here were pantheists, right, who put great emphasis on moral sincerity and a high sense of duty. And they were proud and they behaved in a dignified manner, okay? And the Stoics believed that everything, they just believed that everything was God. And God was in everything, so they believed that all things good or evil were from God, and so nothing should be resisted, and they believed there was no particular direction or destiny for mankind, okay? So all that to say that there was a hodgepodge of philosophical gobbledygook right here going on at Aeropagus, which you know, can also be translated as Mars Hill. You might hear that term for this area here. And verse 20 continues, and these men say to Paul here, they say, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So that's what everyone gathered around this place for, right? 
today, right, we call that the internet. <laughs> now, I'm just kind of joking there, kind of, but right, it's a place where people gather and put whatever information they want out there, okay? But people from all over were looking for something new to hear about, right? And that's kind of the way it is today, right? And, and if you allow yourself, you know, there can be a lot of confusions, you know, a lot of confusing stuff that you grab onto if you're not rooted and grounded in the word of God, because there's all kinds of stuff on the internet. Again, look at somebody like me out here on the internet teaching something. Is it what you should be learning? Well, study the word of God for yourself. That's what you need to do, okay? That's what we're reading about in this chapter. These were people that were considered doing the right thing because they were reading the Bible themselves, okay? Then Paul's, or reading the scriptures, you know, themselves, I should say, they didn't have the Bible like we have it today, all of it put together this way, but they had the scriptures to read, right? So then verse 22 goes on. Then Paul stood in the midst of the men of Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. Okay? So Paul's going to take the opportunity here to say, huh, okay, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to teach them. They have something here, you know, they found they had an altar there with an inscription on it that said to the unknown God. And he's going to say, well, Paul realized they didn't know the true God because they're worshiping all these false gods, right? So he, he takes this opportunity to teach them. And he says in verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. You know, it's easy for us today to become like these men of Arapagus, right? Mars Hill here, and come up with all of our philosophies about God and establish all of our religions and things like that and say, this is the way we, sh we do it and this is the way we should do it and all of that stuff. And God, you know, God needs us to worship him in this way. God's the one that gives life to all, breath and all things, right? All things consist, all things exist because of him. He doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need us to build him a temple, right? He has made, verse 26 goes on to say, he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. One blood. You remember, he created Adam in the beginning, and from that has come every other person on the face of the earth, every other race of people, okay? And, and they were all established in certain areas on the earth. He determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, right? For what? It's, verse 27 says, so that they should seek the Lord. That's why he's put people on the earth, 
So they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. So anyone can come to the Lord today, again, through repentance, through faith in Jesus Christ. You come to him, the spirit of the Lord comes within you, the kingdom of God is within you, and you seek the Lord and you serve the Lord in obedience, right? It says in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Have you come to realize that in your life, that it's in the Lord that we live and move and have our being? Jesus told his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? Excuse me, that is nothing of any value, right? So it's in him that we live and move. We have life. He gives life to all. He is Lord of all. And he is the one that we are to serve and to worship and him only. Therefore, since we are all, verse 29 goes on to say, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold and silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. So it's like creating idols and places and things to worship. You know, that's not what God is. Truly, verse 30 goes on to say, truly these times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now. So Paul's teaching them here. Look, again, he's saying, I'm gonna show you something here about the God you don't know, that these men didn't know, because they were searching all kinds of gods, seeking all kinds of gods, right? But he's saying, look, God's overlooked the ignorance of this in the past, but now it says in verse 30 that he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Who's that? Jesus, right? He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. He's alive and well. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Okay, he is, he's alive, right? And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, so these men that are listening to Paul here, verse 32 says, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we'll hear you again on this matter. So Paul de- departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them Dionysus, the, Ar- the Aeropagite, a woman named Demarius, and others with them. So Paul was preaching the gospel. Paul was preaching the truth about who Jesus is. Some of them believed, some of them followed, some of them didn't. Some said, we'll consider it, we'll think about it later. Paul was just going on and preaching the gospel, giving them the opportunity to come to Jesus as their king, okay? So we will go ahead and stop here for tonight. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening, whichever the case may be. Um, 
Thank you, Ricky. Ricky made a comment here. The word must put off the mortal body you see on paper and the word has to put on the immortal body. He says it is the image of God. Yes, sir. Okay, well, I'm not real clear on that, but so I'm not real sure what you're saying there, Ricky, but um, that's just my own ignorance. Sorry about that. <laughs> but thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, whichever the case may be. But yes, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And again, I just really want to encourage you to study the word of God for yourself. Don't just take what I say and, uh, you know, act like what I say is it. Pick up your Bible, read it yourself. All I like to do is read the Bible to you and kind of expound on it as we go and, um, you know, Hope that you get something out of it. But Kevin, thank you for watching. Have a great night as well. Becky, Ricky, all of you have a great night. And uh, if anybody has any questions or likes to contact me directly, uh, you can do so at dave at aloveoutreach.com. Or you can go on to our website, aloveoutreach.com, and fill out the, uh, the contact form there. And we'll get an email from that as well. But God bless you all. Have a great night. And uh, a new week has begun and um, thinking about going live again on Wednesday night, uh, a little less informal here, time of prayer and things like that. Maybe a little time of a little devotional Bible study as well, but we'll see you all. God bless.